Hello and welcome back to the Some Sort of Miracle podcast. I'm Ed and I'm here today with John Swales and Katie Ajukwu. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Good, good to be here. So um, we're here at St. George's Centre um, and that is working alongside St. George's Crypt. And can you explain kind of how all of that works together and what this setup is of this place here? Yeah, so um, so the centre is kind of like the business wing of the church, um, but we work for St. George's Church, which is a large Anglican church in the city centre of Leeds, um, and um, underneath that you have St. George's Crypt, which is um, used to be the crypt where kind of the rich and famous of Leeds were buried, but in the 1930s was converted into a homeless shelter. Um, and six years ago, we... Six years? I think so, yeah. Six years ago, yeah. we, um, John, yeah, yeah, John was there first, I wasn't there at that point, and um, planted a worshipping community into the crypt of the church, which wow. is where we meet on Sundays, um, okay. and then have a lot of stuff going on during the week. So. And that is Lighthouse. That is Lighthouse, yeah. yeah. So we described Lighthouse as being a, a Christian com- community for those who have been battered and bruised by the storms of life. Sure, okay. Um, another way of saying that would be that the people who come along to Lighthouse uh, have multiple and complex needs, including mm. homelessness, addiction... Um, crisis in mental health, etc. Um, there's a there's a phrase I like to use actually to talk about my lighthouse brothers and sisters, and that they are hungry ghosts. Mm. Um, right. There's a book by uh, G- how do I say it, Katie? Yeah. I say Gabriel Maté, but I think even I say it Gabriel wrong. Maté. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah, go with that, and he yeah. wrote a book called In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, and he was a uh, he's a doctor working in an area of great deprivation with lots of uh, people in addiction. And the title actually got me. It's a great book mm. anyway, but the title, Hungry Ghosts. Um, hungry. That uh, from the moment we're born, we're craving love and attention and affection. And a lot of my lighthouse, and we all do, um, but a lot of my lighthouse brothers and sisters never got that as a child. They're looking for love and sometimes looking for it in the wrong places. Uh, but ghosts, as in they're a shadow of what God has called them to be. So... We run a community for those who are hungry ghosts, but aren't we all hungry ghosts? We're all looking for love, and we're all a shadow of what God has called us to be. Okay, oh, thank you. That's that's really helpful. Could you kind of talk um, a little bit about what the actual is? There a, like a Sunday service? I'm guessing, or because when we talk about a Christian community or church service, mm. to some people listening, that might look like one thing. I imagine here it looks quite different. Yeah, so um, so in many ways it is that we do a lot of the classic stuff. So we um, gather, so it's a lunchtime service. So um, we start, at, we, we kick off, not in a kind of a kickoff way, but we start at 12.30 um, and kind of people come in for tea and coffee. Uh, it's cafe style, so we sit around tables. Uh, and then we have opening worship, but um, we tend to go for more secular songs. So uh, Rod Stewart, I'm Sailing is a classic. Uh, James Taylor, You've Got a Friend on Me. A uh, friend in me, Bill Myers, um, lean on me. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we kind of we sing those songs as a prayer, um, as a way of because often I guess when people come to church and they see loads of people singing songs they don't know and mm. tunes they don't know, you can immediately feel quite isolated. Yeah. Um, and on the outside looking in, so we sing songs that people know um, and kind of draw them in and then use that to kind of riff prayers off afterwards. Um, so I say that's like the most distinct thing I would say about a lighthouse service is the prayer time. So. Um, after we worship, we um, just invite people. If there's one thing that you could ask the creator of the universe who knows you by name, what would it be? And then we just have a moment's quiet and then the hands get raised and we just start calling them in. It can go on for like 15 minutes, 20 minutes sometimes. Or just an extended. And I think what's particularly remarkable that we know is like, I think in kind of mainstream church world, we're really good at praying for things outside the room, mm-hmm. which is great. Like intercession is important. We should be praying for what's going on in our world but in lighthouses this rawness and vulnerability that people are praying for stuff that's going on like mm. in their lives right now 
Um, so, you know, can you pray for me? My kids have been taken into care, my friend's overdosed or I've relapsed. Um, yeah. And being able to, yeah. Yeah, to what we're going to do is, is sort of uh, be peddlers in Christian hopium. So yeah. hopium is where you give people a shot of hope, which is a distraction from reality. Actually, we want to offer Christian hope, which is taking reality, taking pain, taking suffering seriously, but still pointing to the hope which is found in Jesus. Um, might be helpful for sort of uh, uh, your listeners to sort of just, just imagine, imagine the scene, um, sort of a cafe-style room, maybe about 70 people gathered. They're all having a cup of tea. Some of them have been nip- nipping out for a smoke, and then the service uh, begins. Um, and just about each week we begin with s- words like this. I'll give you a shortened version, and this is where you do some holy eyeballing. You catch people's eyes. And you say these words, life is full of many different storms. And, and, and there's a bit of piano in the background setting a bit of a mood. Life is full of many different storms. And as I look at you and you look at me, you know what these storms are. Real storms hurting real people. Storms of addiction. Storms of homelessness. Storms of crisis in mental health. And sometimes it feels like you're out at sea and it's pitch black. You're in the little boat of your life and you're scared that you're going to get dashed against the rocks. You're scared you're going to go under. But praise the Lord, we don't call this the storm church, the storm family, the storm community. No, we call this lighthouse. Because when it's pitch black and you're out at sea, you want to see that lighthouse, which is going to lead you safely to shore. The Lord Jesus Christ, my friend and my saviour, he said this. He said, I am the light of the world. And there's no darkness so dark that his light cannot shine. And so that's the kind of way we introduce our services, where we we name the pain in the room, but we actually want to take people on a journey to Jesus. And what's interesting is that the um, the numbers have increased over the years. You know, the room is just about always always full. There's probably about 150 people who would call Lighthouse their church. Now that's what we do on a Sunday, but there's other stuff that goes on sure. during the week. And we're big on. Um we do a lot of dramas that kind of acting oh, yeah. passages yeah. out, which if, you know, if English isn't your first language or reading is something you struggle with, um, then it's a really, and even for anyone, I think dramatizing scripture is a really helpful way of kind of getting, getting your head around some of the power and the, the drama of the passages. So we, yeah, we do a lot of acting out and kind of have a short gospel message, but not too short. I think we often say, I think a lot of um, kind of homeless ministries or that kind of thing can kind of sell people short and that they think people can't handle more than like a five minute thought for the day. Actually, our services are 45 minutes, sometimes to an hour, and people are like high levels of engagement, often more so than you'd get in yeah. kind of an average yeah. service. Now on, on, now, on Sundays, we do have a meal, but we don't enforce, we don't okay. say that you have to have the meal to, you have sorry, to, to, have to come to the service to sure. have, ha, have the meal. In fact, there's probably about 20, 30 people who choose to come yeah. after the service, but that's still 70 odd people who are choosing to come for the service itself. During the week, we have a drop in and Bible study which doesn't have a food aspect, well, maybe a couple of custard creams and a few digestives. Um, And we have a drop-in followed by a prayer time and Bible study. And often there's more people coming for the prayer time and Bible study than they are for the drop-in aspect, with numbers, um, what, 30 plus? Yeah, yeah, 30 to 40. Yeah, and we we studied the Gospels. We've been all the way through Mark's Gospel, all the way through Luke's Gospel, and now we're getting to the back end of Matthew's Gospel. The, The... the thinking of this is saying, what's the best tool for discipleship? Because actually, we're not just about wanting to get people to you know, uh, put their hands in the air, say the sinner's prayer. Actually, we want disciples, people who are followers of Jesus. What's the best tool for that? It could be listening to Jesus, 
and looking at Jesus and reading the Gospels together. So that's what we do. Wow, wow. We had a, a question from one of our listeners who um, <coughs> called Caroline, and she um, was speaking about uh, crisis conversion versus process conversion. Mm. And how um, sometimes you see uh, some people who kind of go through this, um, and I, I don't want to get hung up on the wording there, but um, sometimes when people kind of have a road to Damascus experience that leads to them becoming a Christian, uh, discipleship after that can look very different to someone who has had a long journey, maybe growing up through the church and then kind of having lots of knowledge there. How do you kind of, I know you spoke a little bit about starting with the Gospels and teaching them through what Jesus does, but how do you provide a discipleship for people that maybe didn't have that uh, church upbringing? Or... Yeah, so, so most, most people who uh, come to Lighthouse um, are un- unchurched. Yeah. Um, they wouldn't normally be in church. They haven't just chosen a different church to come to. Mm-hmm. They've often been in the chaos. Um, some of them sort of have a bit of sort of church in the background. Some have been to like Christian schools, so you kind of would okay. know the Lord's Prayer, sure. but beyond that, not. Yeah. Um, um. We, I mean, we, we do talk about sort of two miracles we see at, uh, at Lighthouse. We see the, uh, the quick miracle, the, the times when people respond to the gospel and you see dramatic changes overnight. Um, I, I think of my friend who... Um, five and a half years ago he's living in the car park shoot, shooting up heroin he comes into church for food and essentially we put him in an ambulance because he was in crisis in mental health and gave him a bible and prayed for him Any, anyway he ended up back in his car park and uh, wrote in his bible i choose jesus um i'll never use heroin again and he never has wow um and we see these quick uh, miracles i've got another friend who was um was described as the fifth most violent person in uh, County Durham. You know, he's, in his words, he's done more porridge than the uh, the four three bears. Three bears, three bears, not four. Um, <laughs> and he literally came to church. Katie, you invited him, didn't you? Tell us, tell us what happened with that. With yeah, that so I met him. I was just a student at the time, actually. I met him at the end of a lighthouse service, and he was um, he was fresh out of prison and just full of rage. Um, he felt that there'd been a lot of injustice in his life and uh, was just very very angry man and because of that kept falling out with people and um was in yeah quite a desperate place so I invited him to church and he just said well will it be warm um so the evening service said yeah it'll be warm so he kind of came for that reason alone really and I think when when he came in he recognized you and I think he thought that John worked for the crypt the homeless shelter and he'd just fallen out with them um after being quite hostile hostile to some of their staff so he nearly headbutted John on the way in so I was like this is this is going very well um, but something happened during the worship and this kind of hardened ex-squaddy, um, he'd spent a lot of time in, in prison, just started weeping and just kind of broke down and then started dancing. Once he started dancing, we couldn't stop him. Um, and that was a really remarkable, um, yeah, yeah, kind of So we see these quick miracles, but they are not as frequent as we would like. Right. We pray for them. We yeah. celebrate them when they happen. Um, they're not as frequent, but there's another type of miracle. Um, what we call a slow burn miracle is that when you well which has a, a basic assumption which is this in the presence of love there is always change you might not always see it it might be something that you can only track after many years of looking back um, and I think that's where sort of drip feeding discipleship talking about Jesus loving people praying for each other um, taking seriously that when we call someone a brother and sister 
that's not just a tick box exercise. That is a reality which we live in as community. And that slow burn miracle is frequent. Mm. I would even go as far to say that everyone who stays around with us for more than a, a week or two and join, they, they, um, they embark on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so whether that's a, uh, what were the two terms you used? It was process. Process and crisis. Maybe they weren't the best terms for this. Yeah, but, yeah so uh, I, I, the thing I don't like, I guess the challenge of the processing is that yeah. people become kind of object stuff that you do. Sure. But that's, you know, it was Caroline, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. I, I, she probably wasn't meaning this, this, the journey aspect. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, we we push on, we push on both of these. We will call people to faith. We will say there's a there's a broad way that leads to destruction, and some of you are on it, mm-hmm. and the chaos you're in will lead will lead to an early death. Then there's the way of Christ. It's a narrow way. Come on board, and we'll we'll eyeball people, and we'll say it, and we'll call them to the front sometimes to put themselves on the knees or to light the candle or whatever it is to respond. And sometimes that that kicks into this the, the quick miracle. You see mm-hmm. transformation, but the slow burn miracle is there on a daily basis with a large number of people who are in this process, as I am, as Katie is, have been formed into the image of Christ. Now, obviously. The setbacks, you know, this yeah. isn't. Um, we see people who cling to Christ, come to the front, who are involved in the slow burn miracle, who go on and end up being involved in the death of somebody else. Mm. Yeah, so this is this is this is me- it's messy. It's it's messy. Discipleship is 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 messy, and as a team, we 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 count some of the cost of that. Mm. Yeah, but what I would say, because I think what Caroline was also, but actually it looks different when people are starting from a totally clean slate. Sure. Um, and I say that is also really humbling and really exciting as a team when you get to read the Gospels as someone who's never read it before. Mm. And um, yeah, so it's something that we sometimes do is um, we call them like biblionarratives, where you get the guys, we kind of go through the passage slowly, we dress people up and we get the guys to act stuff out and then we pause and we say, okay, you're the garrison demoniac, what's going on right now for you? Or kind of you're the townspeople. And getting people's reflections, um, like reading the Bible with people from different cultural contexts is incredible, I think, in many ways. Um, but there's something that's, there's a unique privilege in journeying with people that don't mar- carry some of the kind of cultural Christian baggage that we carry. Yeah, yeah. Um, and who generally think that if Jesus said something, maybe we should do it rather than kind of, they've been conditioned yeah, yeah, yeah. to think that that's not necessarily always the case. We had a couple of weeks ago, didn't we, where there was a, a couple of lads who were really at each other's throat and you just think it's going to escalate. And actually, you know, both lads are Christians and you pulled one aside who was really, you know, you just wonder if he's going to go the way of violence. And you just remind him that he's a Christian and that Jesus said, you know, blessed are the peacemakers. You're to love your enemies and bless those who curse you. And you can see in his head, he's he's, make, he's making that decision, and then he just calmed. Wow. He just calmed right down. And what a joy it is for us as um, a sort of leadership to see to see the, the transformation in people. Yeah, yeah. That guy who was living in a um, living in the car park shooting up heroin, um, he had the quick miracle, but also he's been part of the slow burn miracles as well. So even the, the quick miracles. Yeah our work in progress and have been formed and shaped in the image of Jesus. And we see years down the line how his character has been formed and shaped to look more like Jesus. Wow. Yeah. So it, it sounds 
it sounds amazing kind of being surrounded by people who don't have the baggage of kind of middle class Christianity, I guess. Um, but I wonder how, how has that, um, that affected kind of your theology or your understanding of your faith then being surrounded and being in a completely different context? I, I personally can find mainstream church difficult. Uh, it, it, it seems to lack sometimes an off, or authenticity or a deep community. Um, so Lighthouse, is, a, is this a negative side effect or a positive side effect? Is, um, is making me see that sometimes mainstream church um, can learn, learn a few lessons from, um, from fresh expressions of church which dig deep into, into community. Yeah, what about yourself, Katie? Yeah, I think I'm in quite a unique season in that um, a lot of my faith has probably lived out cross-culturally. So um, my husband's Nigerian. We do a lot of work amongst the Roma remaining communities. That's kind of where I do Bible study. Um, We'll be there tonight kind of with people who are largely illiterate. Um, And then Lighthouse. So so again, going kind of into my, my, my cultural context of kind of white middle class can feel a little bit strange and I guess the challenge for us as a team and something that John often calls himself and us to is to be um prophetic encouragers not disillusioned cynics um amongst the wider church um because it's quite easy to kind of think you know we we get it and we're doing this stuff um but actually what does it mean to be a real prophetic voice of encouragement in that place and not critical and cynical um and disillusioned so and that's a constant kind of challenge but we, we benefit hugely from being part of St. George's and a ministry that's partnered with them, we wouldn't be able to do a lot of what we do without that support. So mm. it's acknowledging that and recognising that, you know, we, we, I think, are a gift to them, but yeah, also sure. we, we're incredibly blessed by being part of that wider team um, and the resources that come from that. So, yeah. And I think people from mainstream church, when they see Lighthouse, we'll have people who come and visit who will be in tears mm. witnessing a Lighthouse service, yeah. seeing pain name from the front. Or in a time of prayer, someone, you know, can you pray for my um, kids who I don't have access to? Um, And you'll see sometimes that people will visit and they'll see an authenticity and they, they want it and they crave, uh, they 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 crave for that in their own sort of spirituality, uh, as well. Yeah. Yeah. So often when we talk about mission and we talk about how we kind of get mainstream church to engage in mission in their communities, this phrase of Missio Dei is, comes about and, oh, I see some smiles here already. <laughs> John's uh, got a, an alternative. On that okay, one. <laughs> yeah, and, and I guess for those who don't know, that's kind of the idea of following God into his mission that he's already active in, yeah. in our communities. Uh, could you talk about how kind of Lighthouse would view that or how that would, would work in this context? Yeah, so uh, Missio uh, Dei, uh, Mission of God, is 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 popular in uh, to be thrown into sort of church conferences, at uh, Bible colleges and whatever. And I think it's it's good. God really is at work in the whole world, and we can join him in his mission. But his little problem, I sort of see in how that is framed. If you put that alongside middle class values, um, two which might be being risk averse. And that we like hanging out with people who are the same as us. So you take Mission of God, but you read it through a middle-class uh, lens. Then you might be inclined to say, well, God's at work in the, um, on the golf club, so I'll do something on the golf club, or in the reading, uh, a reading group, I'll do, I'll do that. And somewhere that's safe, and you end up being with people who are the same as you. 
Um, so my suggestion, and it's not it's not a damning critique of Mission of God, but it's, it's a different framing. And so instead of Missio D, it's Missio Satanas, or the mission of Satan. Mm. That sounds weird. I've tried to get some of the bishops on board with stuff like that, and they're, they're not overly keen. <laughs> but essentially it means this. Uh, the mission of Satan, you look to see where the evil one is m- most at work, mm. where lives are most damaged and most broken. And then you come against that with the peace-loving kingdom of God. And I think that's what we see in Jesus' ministry. He, he, will, he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So in that setting, it's more an aggressive posture towards uh, evil and brokenness, um, which says, it's not right, I'm going to get stuck in. You've got to be careful with that missiology for things like burnout. Yeah. You've got to have sustainable yeah. ministry. But I do think that with with this approach, you could go to an area and you say, okay, what does God want us to do? And perhaps a basic way of saying, who are the most broken, messed up people in the local area? Let's seek to uh, love them and um, bring them into the kingdom, which again, that's, you know... Uh, Missio Dei is very much God's at work everywhere. And that's true. That really is true. But I'd also say that there, there is a world of darkness and there is a kingdom of light. Um, now, that isn't held by the middle class. I'm, I'm not saying that. But sure. what I'm saying is that um, Missio Dei could lead you to a place where you don't proclaim Jesus and you don't look to see people pledge allegiance to him and move from darkness and chaos into his wonderful, uh, into his wonderful light, um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's. I found that really challenging, actually. And like personally, I, I really feel a call into that social justice side. But mm. often, I feel that can come at the expense of proclaiming the gospel at times. How do you find the balance there between, I guess, being a service provider in some senses? Um, and you know proclaiming the gospel yeah I think it's um I don't know there's something about the fact that John wears a vicar's collar and that we are a church um which kind of gives you a certain amount of freedom to talk about Jesus and that's an expectation so our understanding we kind of give a five minute warning before we start our Sunday service for example um and just say look in about five minutes we're going to start our service you might be thinking you know what what are the Bible bashers doing here? I'm just here for my food. Like, that's fine. Come back yeah. in an hour. But, but this is what we're going to do. And so then your, your understanding is that everyone that's in the room has opted in. They've chosen to be there. You're given the opportunity if they aren't cool with that to go. Um, but I think there's just something about a confidence in that. And, um, yeah, people respond, I think, respond well to prayer, respond well to a genuine desire mm. for, um, yeah, a genuine concern. Um, and... I think people are hungry for hope. And so I don't think it's ever something we've had to kind of, and even when we're working more with other services, so um, we're contracted with adult social care for a couple of individuals um, who have kind of fallen through the cracks and we've um, been kind of rallying adult social care saying these, these individuals, they need support. And they're like, yeah, we, we recognise that, but no one's willing to provide it. And so we've kind of stepped in. Um, and the, there's times where we're saying, you know, we're, we're basically asking you to pay us to take this person to church and being totally frank about that. And they're, they're up for that and um, willing to kind of recognising that there's, there's, very else, there's very little else out there that, that yeah. can love people as well as we can. Yeah, and so um, s- stepping away from Lighthouse, just kind of the theory behind that, um, there has been, there, there sometimes can be 
almost people feel like there's a choice to be made, a choice to be made between are we people who proclaim the gospel or are we people who do justice? And sometimes you even get that doing justice is mm. proclamation of the gospel. Um, so you, you sometimes hear this Francis of CC quote, which is uh, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. A few problems with that. One, he didn't say it. You know, that's what the scholarship <laughs> said. You know, he never said that. Um, and even if he did say it, he's, he, he's wrong. That the gospel in itself is a news to be proclaimed, but loud and clear. I don't want to offer a reductionistic Christianity which has to choose between them. You know, the church of Jesus is called to be proclaimers of Jesus. Yeah, but also just this people. That's part of the beating heart of God as well. And they actually go really, really well together. Um, so, um, so, so for instance, you know, as well as light, as well as lighthouse work and trying to enact justice there, um, which includes things people um, is sometimes standing up for the rights of the oppressed. So, lighthouse at times will write a very good kickoff letter. You know, if there's an issue where we need to speak truth to power for the sake of the powerless, but also outside of uh, lighthouse world, you know, I'm passionate. I'm personally passionate for the church to get involved in climate justice, and so I found myself, you know, um, Katie as well, actually doing a protest outside Barclays Bank last week, and I see no, no pull between, do I proclaim the gospel or do I be a justice seeker, yeah. but both and. So we we spoke about um, avoiding burnout, and I think it can be quite a quite a challenge, especially when you're working in these really in tough situations and you're surrounded by so much suffering. I guess there's two questions in there. One is the suffering. How how when surrounded by so much suffering, how do you hold on to faith? And two, how do you avoid burnout when you must feel drawn to give so much of yourself to alleviate that suffering? Mm. I would I think, I think there is a real danger particularly with this you know Monsieur your satan as you look mm. for the most broken you get stuck in mm. it comes at a cost mm. um, Jesus tells us we're to count the cost and there is a cost in doing in working with adults with multiple and complex needs um, you've got burnout on the one side and then you've got compassion fatigue on the other and there's this tightrope uh, uh, to, to be walked um, I think there's a number of things which, which I'm hoping are um, things that we value, things we put in place, which mean that we can do this in a sustainable way, um, in no particular order. Should we just sort of yeah, so, riff off a few? Um, supervision is really key. So um, all those who are on core team and are kind of regularly exposed to a lot of pastoral, um, just messy, difficult, traumatic stuff, um, at least once a month have to see um, someone who's a trained professional to help us process, um, which is really helpful. So it's essentially kind of counselling for counsellors. Mm. Um, and I think that's a real lifeline and it's something that's written in our contracts that we have to do it as not optional. Um, so supervision is one. I think being part of a team is really helpful. I think yeah. early days when it was just John and like an intern, that's really difficult because there's a real sense of if I don't go, who will go? Mm. Um, and so taking time out and that kind of thing becomes very difficult. But I think having a team who um, are very, very tight-knit, very kind of um, shared vision, shared um, heart, but also kind of catch each other. So, like, people call us out, like, Katie, you're looking, 
you're looking tired (laughs) and that's really helpful as well I think being part of and just having people like our team meetings um are just a place where also we can process stuff so we 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 debrief on what's happened we form a plan for what we're going how we're going to respond but just having that space to talk things through um and even sometimes like so if I'm kind of out and an incident happens on the streets um with one of our guys or girls it's quite distressing like just sending a message to the whatsapp group they can't change anything they can't do anything but there's something about just offloading that which is really helpful. Um, what I'd, else I'd probably say? just add in a, um, a few theological things, which I've personally found helpful. Um, one is, um, I remember someone who had been physically, emotionally, and sexually abused turning around to me and asking me the question, why did God do this to me? Why did God allow it? And um, it would never be right to sort of do a, sort of a theological answer, but it, you know, that's, that's the kind of question. Yeah. If I was batting with the dominant view since the time of Augustine, which is God has either preordained all events or specifically allows every event, then I couldn't help get into the position with Lighthouse, with all the suffering we see, of saying that God is a moral monster. And actually part of my framing of that theologically is to say there's plenty of stuff that happens in the world which God does not want to happen. It breaks his heart. He's against it. He's not willing it for some greater good. And actually, I think it allows me to, the more I do Lighthouse, to see that God really is as beautiful and loving as that which is found in Jesus. And so actually doing a bit of theological work on the issues of suffering. And in fact, that feeds into this warfare view of mission, doesn't it? Actually, the evil one's at work. There's forces of chaos at work, and we need to um, realize that God isn't doing that. God calls us to be a kingdom of light. Then another theological thing is being able to or spirituality, uh, lament and grieve. Don't avoid the pain, name the pain. Um, so there's times when uh, Lighthouse Brothers have taken their uh, lives and I've gone in with the police um, and I have to come back and tell his Lighthouse Brothers and sisters what's happened. How do I process that? Now, I don't think the thing is to avoid it and ignore it is to deal with it. And so I'll sit down, darken room, bit of a candle, and I'll write prayers of lament. Um, and that's, that, that helps me move from a place of disorientation to, to a place of reorientation, where I say, yes, I've, I've journeyed through this. It's, it's, it's still hurt, but I, I've, I've done business with God regarding this pain which has been brought to, brought to my door. Um, yeah. And again, training the guys in that and modelling that with them and teaching them to lament. And we do, we, we do quite a lot of sim- symbolic stuff, um, so lighting candles or kind of picking up stones. And, and the guy, they find that really helpful. And actually, how do we form a community that knows how to process and deal with their pain? Um, so, yeah, for, for the guys' yeah. sake as much as our own, I think yeah. we need to learn how and to that, handle the pain well. And then just things about, you know, personal retreat um, and also trusting my team. If any of my team turn around to me and say, John, um, I'm just struggling, can I take tomorrow off? I'm not looking at the timesheet and counting hours, I'm saying, of course you can. Yeah, so having a, a team who I can trust and that when they are, and, and an openness that they can say to me that actually they just need a little bit of time then they will get the time. And if need be, we'd close the doors at, mm. at, uh, at Lighthouse if it meant that the team would um, 
continue. I don't want, you know, let's say Lighthouse goes another sort of 20 years. I don't want to look back and say, you know, a whole string of pastors and pastoral assistants who've all mm. loved the time at Lighthouse and then they've all been smashed up emotionally. Yeah. No, I want people who um, journey with Lighthouse and see it, 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 it cares for the team. Um, despite it being a place of brokenness. And it, it probably means we need to filter people who would who would come uh, maybe for uh, interview or volunteer, filter those that if, you know, people need to be, there, need, there needs to be a, a resilience mm. within people. Yeah. Um, but I think also Lighthouse is a real place of celebration as well. Like, the guys love to laugh and um, we, we do, we have a lot of fun and there's something really beautiful in that and so taking opportunities to get the guys out in nature and to be yeah. just family together. So, I think after a very traumatic event where um, someone had, yeah, there'd been a, a death just outside the church that some of our guys have been involved in. Um, was, was it the death or was it the then suicide of the person? I can't remember. Anyway, it, it had been very dramatic. And we then all just jumped on a bus. We were going on a retreat and just spent 24 hours playing badminton, watching sunrise and wow. sunsets and just hanging out together, having bonfires. And there's something deeply healing in that and, and joyful and beautiful. So, yeah. It's enjoying those moments. So I'm, I'm just imagining a listener listening to this and maybe uh, creating a character here. This isn't any actual listener, but they're in mainstream church. They kind of go on a Sunday and they're listening to this and they're just being challenged by this Missio Satanus or Missio Dei or wanting to engage in something more. How, how does the average person go about doing this? Because this will seem a million miles away for, for many people and, and really difficult to, to get into. How, do, how, how, as a Christian, do you find ways to engage in this sort of work or this sort of yeah, pursuit of mission, if that's the right phrase? I think it would be to... Um, well, first of all, I'd say that person, you know, that's great. Perhaps the Spirit is at work. Read, read the Gospels as well. Keep on reading the Gospels. See that this is... This isn't new. This is the heart of Jesus. This is what the church should be doing. Um, then for them to pray for wisdom and courage, wisdom to know which direction to take and then the courage to do it. For most people, I, I don't think that will look like setting up something new. And in fact, sometimes if you can, you can get so enthusiastic, I can remember doing this sort of in my early, early 20s, um, so enthusiastic, taking to the streets and taking food parcels out for people. Um, I'm pleased I did that. Um, but actually there could be something where even my helping could actually be hurting someone. Um, so what I'd say, if it's possible in local area, find Christians who are already doing it. Yeah. You know, whether that be like a lighthouse, some Salvation Army project, um, some churches running a soup kitchen, and, and go and seek to not just be someone who's on the other side of a counter passing over a, um, a, you know, a bowl of soup, and that's, that's, that's good in itself, but actually someone who sits next to those who are vulnerable, sees them as being image bearers who, are, who should be honoured and respected and learn from them, and learn from them. Um, what would you say, Katie? Yeah, again, so I kind of look back at where I began and some of the things that I did when I was first starting like I definitely wouldn't recommend they were not not wise or <laughs> or yeah particularly helpful um but again I'm, I'm grateful that I did them I'm grateful that I made those mistakes but I would just think start where you are um there are hurting broken people everywhere some of them don't um, some, we're better at hiding it and um, some of us than others um but something that I'm incredibly grateful for was as a kid when my mum used to always just invite uh would 
really asked me to invite the lonely kid in my class around for tea. Mm-hmm. I think that was something that was quite formational for me to learn to look out for the vulnerable in my midst um, in a middle-class classroom um, with other kind of kids from stable homes, but actually who, who are the lonely, who are the hurting, who are the slightly not quite as loved. Yeah. Um, and I think just having eyes to see that. So for me, when I came to Leeds, I just started to pray, God, would you help me to see as you see and love as you love today? And that ended up meaning that I found it more difficult to walk past the guys in the streets without stopping and finding out their names. But um, I think, again, just having that heart, as John says, to begin um, and to allow God to move you. And I think once you're up and moving, it's much easier to be guided if you're sat praying that's a, but not responding. That's a really good point there. Just yeah. remind me of this, the, the prayer you had there. reminds me of before Lighthouse was was praying, Lord, bring across my path those who are broken and smashed up by life and help me to love them with the love of Jesus. And I would feel my heart burn with compassion that I, I could do no other than to stop and love and care for a person. And um, love looks like something. And it looks, you know, there's a multiplicity of ways it can, it can, it can look. Um, and the other thing I found helpful sort of early days is to read biographies of Christians who have um, been doing this. So I've, I, I personally found myself being formed and shaped by reading about uh, William Catherine Booth, reading about sort of John Wesley, and, and finding myself saying, Lord, um, do it again. Lord, this is, this, is, this is missing from my current sphere of what Christianity looks like. So you both also do some work with the Leeds School of Theology. Mm. And I'd, I've heard rumour that there's a new course starting that you're both uh, involved with. Is that called Mission Theology and Ministry for the Margins? I'm glad you remember. Well yeah. we, we, always get, we always get the wrong, wrong order. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so we've, we've run that course for, are we sort of two-thirds of the way? Yeah, I think so. Two-thirds of the way of, of this year, but it yeah. will start again in September. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been working with Leeds School of Theology for a, a number of years. I also teach Old Testament at St. Hild. And in a sense, my two loves, I've got a few, a few, few loves, including my wife, if she's listening, <laughs> yeah, um, is Lighthouse, working with one of the but also equipping the church through theological resources and uh, biblical teaching. And actually, this is a, it's a dream course for myself because I get to put those two worlds uh, together. Katie, do you want to tell us a little bit more? Yeah, so um, basically just kind of got together with them and started chatting and thinking about actually what some of the topics that people who are either already working in um, amongst those on the margins or have a heart to pioneer in that area. What, How do we want to equip them? What have we learned um, that we'd like to pass on? So some of the topics that we cover, um, uh, it's a mix of kind of practical and theological, so kind of justice in the heart of God, um, honouring the image, um, L- Leading worship for vulnerable yeah, adults. Yeah, leading worship vulnerable adults. Um, helping without hurting. So again, actually, how do we minister in such a way that doesn't create unhealthy dynamics and is yeah. harmful to both those that we're trying to serve Le- ourselves? Learning to lament um, mm. and when, why the hell do bad things happen? Yeah. That's kind of working with some of the theological underpinnings which can which can help. Yeah. So, and so yeah, at the moment we've got maybe like 50, 60, which gather from kind of across the North of England, mainly Leeds, but from outside, some travel from outside as well. And it's just been a great, great community to, it's really great when you're in a room and most people are on the same page, like, yeah, yeah. and there's a real heart to, to grow in this stuff and to, to really put it into action. So at the end of every session, we do head, heart, hands, actually what has um, kind of inspired your thinking, what's touched your heart and what is the practical outworking of what you've learned. 
um, always trying to ground it in the local context. So yeah, so if you're listening and um, you'd be interested in by all means, uh, Lee School of Theology, sign up online and we'd love to see you in September. Excellent. Thank you for giving us more information on that. It's really helpful. Mm. So uh, yeah, thank you so much for doing this podcast. Um, I guess where could we find out more information if we wanted to learn more about Lighthouse? Where could we learn more about that? The best way for someone to come and find out more about Lighthouse would come and visit. Yeah. Yeah. If you want to visit, just uh, uh, yeah, e- email uh, John John dot Swales S W A L E S at Saint George's Leeds dot org dot UK. Email and just come and visit us. We have stuff on uh, Sundays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays. We'd be happy to meet someone for a coffee to encourage them. Um, if you go online, there's various articles and different videos you can find as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So Lighthouse West Yorkshire. There's quite a few lighthouses. We keep getting congratulated for our work in Hull, which we gratefully <laughs> receive, but that's not us. So yeah, <laughs> Lighthouse West Yorkshire, and you'll find us online. So uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode. See you then.